welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hi, I'm Scott Rutherford, Director of Marketing at Training Industry. And I'm Taryn Aish, Editor at TrainingIndustry.com. Much has been made of the impact artificial intelligence and automation is having and, and will have on business and all of the individuals who work for businesses. But before we get started, I'd like to thank the Certified Professional and Training Management Program for being the sponsor for this episode of The Business of Learning. Hi, I'm Brandy, and I'm the Learning Program Administrator for the Certified Professional and Training Management Program. The CPTM program was designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. And when you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com. Today on The Business of Learning, we talk to Larry Boyer, consultant, speaker, and author of the new book, The Robot in the Next Cubicle, What You Need to Know to Adapt and Succeed in the Automation Age. Larry, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Larry, we, we hear a lot um, over the last couple of years about the fourth industrial revolution. Can you please explain for our listeners um, what exactly that is? Um, sure. So, you know, through um, history, we've had three other industrial revolutions, and we're now on the, the verge of a, a fourth one. Um, the last industrial revolution we had, just for context, uh, was one where we had a lot of commuter, um, computerization and automa- automation that had occur- that occurred. Um, you know, we saw some um, introduction of robotics into the, uh, into the workplace, uh, especially in manufacturing. Um, and as we've evolved, we're coming into a, a fourth one where we're starting to see a lot of new technologies come online um, these can be everything from artificial intelligence to more robots, um, drone technologies, uh, virtual reality, um, gene splicing and editing that we're seeing. So there's a lot of, of new technologies that are coming together. And, and what makes it a, an industrial revolution as opposed to just an evolution of existing technologies is the fact that all of these technologies are, are being developed at the same time. And then they're going to be able to work across each other um, and be combined in different ways, right? And so it's very difficult to see what the future will be um, with a with any of industrial revolution when you're at the starting point. And what you know is that there will be lots of disruption, um, changes to the way that we're doing things, changes to the way that we live. Uh, so it affects all, all aspects of the economy, not not just work, but the way that we live as well. So it affects how we have to live uh, and how we work. And one one thing that uh, I I observed, I was reading what you wrote in the book about uh, the history of industrial revolutions. Uh, what struck me is, it seemed to me there is a little bit of parallel when you just uh, talk about Moore's law. Moore's law being the uh, tendency of uh, of change to happen at a, a exponential uh, rate. Um, the fourth, the first industrial revolution was over the course of a couple of hundred years. The second, over the course of what sixty or eighty years. The third, over the course of perhaps forty years. Is the fourth industrial revolution all of this change that we have to adapt to with technology? And are we also having revolutions that change our world more rapidly than, than before? Is that what we have to expect? I, I think that is uh, an interesting question. Um, so that I think there are two parts to that, right, is, is how fast individual components of the revolution are, are happening. Um, so they are happening, I think, faster, um, like you said, with, with Moore's Law. The unknown question is, is how long will, will it take for the, the entire revolution itself to, to shake out? Um, and that one is, is a lot harder to say, you know, will it last 40 years, 60 years, or only 20 uh, before things kind of stabilize into a new normal? 
in some respects, you know, if it happens faster, that's a, a little bit better uh, because in the past revolutions, if you look at them, right, that was the entire working life of a, a person, right? So if you started out at the beginning of your career, at the start of an industrial revolution, uh, you would be retired uh, long before it even ended. So your entire career would be through through disruption. Um, if we got through that a little bit faster, um, that would probably be better for, for the working uh, person. Of course, we have to adapt during our working lives, perhaps, to changes that we see. One of the changes that we that you write about in the book is um, uh, artificial intelligence, and uh, you describe three variations of AI: um, assisted intelligence, augmented intelligence, and autonomous intelligence. And I wonder if you could um, help us understand the differences between those and how they um, affect the workplace. Sure. Well, I think you know one important thing to recognize about all of these is they're not necessarily uh, exactly separate and distinct uh, things, right? I would like to think about it as more of a, a spectrum, right? And so you can move from um, the more simple one, which is assisted intelligence, um, where you get some, you know, some levels of automation, the computer is making some very simple decisions, and then, um, you know, kind of moving on uh, and handing off the decision making process to, to humans. Um, augmented intelligence is and taking that a little bit more and bringing it and integrating it more with, with humans and human decision-making. And then finally, you know, the autonomous intelligence where uh, the machine is making decisions completely by itself, um, you know, without the need for, for human interaction. Um, you know, and you can think a little bit about this maybe in the example of, um, you know, autonomous vehicles um, and the way they're, they're working today, um, where maybe it's, you know, the car can drive itself for the most part, Right, but we're still augmenting it with human intelligence, um, you know, because we're saying, oh, you know, the human needs to be paying attention to what the car is doing. The human needs to be able to override what the car is doing if it sees some kind of a dangerous situation. Um, right, so that would be an example, kind of where it's mostly autonomous, but you know, it still needs that that human augmentation uh, for it. Um, you know, if we look at uh, other examples where we see. Again, some mixes of these, you know, space vehicles, you know, so like the Mars rover, right? It can do a lot of its tasks all by itself. But if it runs into a, a particular situation or a difficulty, it stops and waits for a human to look at what the situation is and then make some some decisions about it. Um, yeah, and then we've got everything from um, uh, chatbots, which, um, you know, almost anybody who's been on Facebook has probably experienced chatbots. It's a little bit hard to avoid people marketing to you in that way. Um, right where you start a discussion and you're, you're interacting with, with the machine to start with that can provide some basic levels of information and, and services for you, you know, and, and, and that, that's kind of it. But then you get, you might get stuck somewhere and then you need the, the that human interaction. Um, so it's really this, um, this spectrum and, you know, I think it, it hits the workplace in, in many different ways. Um, everything from, uh, Again, interacting with uh, you know maybe a, a customer support and tech support, how th how calls get get routed, um, uh, increasingly more and more um, uh, issues around data science and machine learning are, are being used to under understand uh, you know people's behavior. And again, a lot of it comes through today through marketing efforts um, that that we see, but it's going to creep into the workplace in, in more and more ways as, as well, just to help us do our our jobs better and more effectively. Um, yeah, if I'm understanding the the, uh, the yeah. 
implementation so far, you know, we've had automation to this point, which has really uh, taken root to replicate uh, sort of formulaic tasks, uh, uh, you know, things that, that you can you can place, you know, sort of firm parameters and conditions on. But as we get further into creative or, or uh, less structured uh, decision-making or, or even creative thought processes, that, that's where at least today's um, autonomous intelligence seems to struggle. Right. And, and, you know, but I think, you know, what we all need to know is people are working very hard to, to do that and replicate, you know, the human creative process. And so there are programs out there, for example, that study music and, and create new compositions. And, and some of them are, are, are pretty good. Uh, the same thing with creating art. Um, and, you know, and people who are working in, in visual arts even, even use that today, you know, some of right where, um, where the computer program can take a, a photograph and, and alter it and manipulate it in, in ways that help clean it up and, and produce a, a nicer looking photo. And a lot of that can be done automatically. You know, and so, you know, the days of, of machines producing art um, might, might be coming as well. So looking a little bit uh, further into the future, or maybe not that far, uh, Mark Sager of Soul Machines believes that humanoid androids will actually be pretty common by 2027, which sounds far away, but is actually less than 10 years from now. Um, so I want to unpack that a little bit. First of all, what exactly is a humanoid android? And um, do you agree with his statement that we're that close? You know, it, it's difficult to say for, for certain, yeah, but we, we already have kind of some humanoid type of, of robots that, that are out there that are interacting with, with people. Um, they're not smooth. They're a little bit clunky still, um, but they're, they're kind of in, interesting, right? So we've got things like um, there's a robot. One of the more popular ones is called Pepper um, that walks around and interacts with people. You might see it at, at conferences um, and, and in different locations, you know, and people find it interesting, right? So it's still a little bit more of a, a curiosity rather than a, a, a helper. Um, we see, you know, Boston Robotics is, is producing um, a, lot, a lot of robots that can do things like walk upstairs, they can run, they can carry uh, backpacks and, and do a lot of tasks. Uh, so those are, 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 are getting closer and closer and all it takes is a few breakthroughs um, to really make it happen. So um, it's hard to say, you know, and predict actual breakthroughs. Um, yeah, 2027 is, is not an outrageous time frame to, to think about seeing some of them. But will they be, you know, humanoid androids like we might have seen on the, if anybody saw the, the movie like um, Artificial Intelligence uh, from, from years ago, uh, you know, where they actually had like a child um, you know, android. You know, that, that's probably much, much further along the, further in the, in the future before we see something like that. So at what point do you think these, these types of androids will have an impact on the workplace and, and what will that look like? Well, I think, yeah, we're going to see robots um, in, in one form or another have increasing uh, impacts in, in the workplace. Uh, the first places where we're going to see them is, is for uh, dangerous tasks um, and th things that are, are hazardous. So we'll see them in for whether it's warfare, maybe um, chemical, uh, you know, dealing with chemicals and dangerous chemicals. Um, I, I just saw some robots um, just yesterday uh, that B Disney was developing to take the place of stuntmen. Um, and, and do a lot of the, the tasks that, you know, a stuntman might do. Uh, so I would say, you know, look for robots to especially be taking the place of, of people who are involved in a lot of dangerous tasks. Um, so we'll, we'll see that. And then I think, you know, we're also seeing the development of robots, um, you know, I think in, in medical care, um, both for anything from performing surgeries to 
you know, some aftercare um, and, and even companion robots. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who suffer from loneliness. And so having a robot companion um, you know, is, is something that we'll, we'll see more and more of, uh, you know, where you can actually talk and interact with it. You'll have somebody around. And, and there's been Again, lots of developments in, in that area as well. So this leads us to the topic of uh, adapting to the technology, and as as uh, as uh, bots and robots take on uh, take on tasks that uh, would otherwise be performed by humans, or perhaps were performed by humans, um, it places a demand on on uh, not just companies to uh, to manage their workforces, but also individual employees to have a a role in their individual you know continuing education. So they so they you know, a, a set of skills that that are current and, and marketable and in demand. So, so how do we begin to manage that, uh, both from an individual continuing education perspective, but also from a company um, training perspective? How how do how maybe you take the company perspective first? How does a company look at um, their workforce and their demands and make sure that the employees they have today can do the jobs that maybe. Uh, if I wanted to be a little bit uh, uh, pessimistic about, but do the jobs that are left in five years. Right. Well, I think, you know, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head here, right? It's It's got to be from both perspectives, right? The company has some responsibility here uh, as well as the individuals themselves. Uh, so I think one of the things that a company needs to be able to do is, is look to the future and actually communicate to its employees what that future looks like and a path, to, a path to get there. And it's not just about the business and the business processes, because that's usually what gets a lot of the attention. It's like, well, what do you have to do to be a, a part of that? Um, and I think very few companies actually do that. Um, you know, I think AT&T was, was excellent at, at kind of communicating some of that vision and telling employees, you know, here's, here's where we're going to be in a few years. Here's the t- kinds of technology that we're doing. Now, you have to come along and do that. Here's the things that you need to learn. Um, so that you can go out and do that. And, you know, some of that may have to be on, on your own time, right? But they, they actually communicated that. I don't think a lot of companies are actually that clear uh, with their employees. Um, and a lot of times, you know, corporate strategies are, well, if we want to adopt a new technology, we're going to just buy a, a new company, a, a startup that already is doing something like this, and we'll just plug it in and we'll let the people go um, who are, are there. Um, you know, and that's been a, a very traditional strategy. Um, in the long run, you know, especially as these new technologies develop, there aren't people who are experts in the new technology. So the company, from a sustainability aspect, I think also needs to bring its employees along. Now, that, that said, employees then also need to learn and, and adapt. They need to know something more about themselves and what their interests are and what their capabilities are so that they can focus on those technologies and say, okay, well, I'm interested in, in developing in this area or I'm interested in developing in a different area. And that might mean separating and working for another company. You know, I think people need to understand as well that, you know, the companies need to be competitive, um, you know, going forward in the future, their development um, is, is definitely a, a part of that. So people who don't want to develop um, and you see a lot of that as well, uh, you know, they, they need to recognize that if they're not going to learn and, and develop, uh, you know, the company is not going to have a whole lot of reason to keep them around. Uh, so if you want a, a future, you've got to be learning and developing all of the time as well. 
Yeah, in the book, you sort of give some pointers or guidelines, I guess, on on how an individual um, employee how how do you how do you look at your capabilities and and sort of brand and market yourself as in, in the direction of the contribution you can make, which is an interesting way to think about it because I don't know if most people go go to the extreme of saying you know I am in fact I'm sort of a product here <laughs> rather than, right. rather than uh, a producer. Right, and I think that that's an important perspective. Um, you know. We all need to be, I think, thinking a little bit more entrepreneurial. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that people have to be entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I get a lot of questions about that. But you need to be thinking about, well, what is my value? What is my value proposition? Because if you don't know what your value is, how is anybody else going to recognize that and understand it, um, especially as, as we move forward um, with all of these new technologies? Say, so, well, how, how are you going to help us? What value are you to the, the company? You know, and everybody should be able to articulate what that is. Right. So with that in mind, um, how will automation disrupt training itself? What will that process of, you know, reskilling and upskilling employees look like in in five or 10 years from now? So I think there's some exciting developments in in, in that area as, as well. So there's two parts to that, right? There's how training is delivered. And I think there's a lot of articles about that from simulations and, and virtual reality. I think, you know, one of the exciting ways that you can do this is you can expose leaders, for example, through virtual reality simulations uh, to all kinds of situations um, before they even arise, right? The, the most important way to, to be prepared for in any kind of a situation that you might occur is, is to have experienced it before. Right? That, that's why we like to look for experienced leaders because they've, they've experienced many different situations. Well, now you can give leaders even more situations through realistic simulations. So that would be just one. The other area that I think is, is exciting is opening up the possibilities of what are you training people in? Um, you know, and so part of that is about new tasks and, and new technologies. But I think the other thing is, you know, and I touch on this in the book is, you know, but what does it mean for you personally? Yeah. You know, if you're going to be competing increasingly with machines, machines are taking on uh, increasing amounts of, of human tasks. The answer for us as humans is not to try to be more uh, like machines, right? It's to dive deeper into who we are as, as people. And so I think we'll have to see more and more training to help and assist people to understand more about themselves and how they fit into this kind of dynamic uh, environment. There's probably also some aspect of uh, better identification or, or perhaps predictive identification of, of a training need that could happen. Uh, it, it ties into, there's a model that we have here at trainingindustry.com called the modern learning system, which uh, essentially looks looks at various facets of, of, of the training uh, uh, process in an organization, all coupled together with data layers and, and how we manage that data um, to uh, trigger training events. Is, is one part of what we see now. So I can only imagine that as we uh, develop technologies that are smarter about uh, being predictive about flagging what we'll need next week or two weeks from now or a month from now to, uh, to, to generate uh, more efficient business processes or to avoid, um, avoid uh, liability or, or, or you know, manage, manage uh, business disruption or that sort of whatever the outcome is. I can only imagine that 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 uh, what we're talking about with with uh, this predictive learning technology is going to theoretically make training more effective. Absolutely, you know, I think you know, there's a lot to be said for analytics and, and predictive analytics um, that can help. Uh, first of all, just recognize issues and, and problems, 
and then two to deliver the, the training that you need and hopefully now you know deliver it at right, right at the appropriate time um, you know whether that's looking for uh, issues with systems or, or new technologies or even perhaps ethical issues that might be circulating around and just say hey you know it seems like there are some issues like this happening uh, it's time for uh, you know some sort of ethical training maybe a, a training on sexual harassment or training on on some other topic like that where you know people need need more of that right right now for whatever reason um you know because the workplace and the people in it is always dynamic and so uh, and they respond to to cues from, from their leaders so what kinds of of training are, are needed in that area as well so larry at the end of the day um you know with what you know about automation and artificial intelligence particularly in the workplace would you call yourself a optimist or a pessimist um when it comes to you know how how this situation is going to shape out and the impact that it's going to have on us as as people and as employees i, I like to think of myself as being optimist um but also kind of a, a realist um, i think you know when we hear a lot of the discussion about automation or robotics it goes down one of, of two paths usually one is it's going to be a disaster uh, for working people and there's going to be mass unemployment. Or the second way is everything is going to be perfectly fine. And what it misses is the in-between stuff, which is from an individual standpoint, you know, you could suffer from disruption. And so I w- what I want people to understand is technology is going to advance. There's going to be lots of tremendous opportunities there. Right? But the opportunities are only going to be there if you're prepared for them. All right, you have to be ready to take advantage of them. You have to be ready to recognize them. And you have to be ready to take action um, when you see those, those opportunities. And if you're not doing that, that's where the, the trouble can happen. And that's happened in every industrial revolution. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the Luddites, right? Well, the, the Luddites were actually correct in some ways, right? Their careers were, were destroyed. And it didn't take long, long for that to happen. The mistake is, is that they fought you know, progress in technology. And so rather than adapting and using what they learned and their, their skills that they had to develop and, and move along with the technology, they fought it and then they, they lost. And so I think that's an important lesson from history, right? Look forward, learn and adapt. Don't try to fight it or just try to wait out the clock and, and hope that you retire before, um, before technology disrupts you, right? There's tremendous opportunity learn how you can take advantage of it. And it demands ongoing, lifelong, uh, sort of sort of pervasive learning to keep the keep up with the pace. Absolutely. You know, it, it's learning and it's across multiple areas. So we all have to take responsibility for that ourselves you know, as, as individuals and, and hopefully you know, corporations and, and, and government policymakers can also provide insight and, and direction as to, to where to go. Because it's hard for any one person to know all of those answers. So it, it does help to, to know what the what the direction is. The book is The Robot in the Next Cubicle, What You Need to Know to Adapt and Succeed in the Automation Age. Uh, Larry Boyer, the author, thanks very much for joining us today. Great. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And as always, you can learn more about this topic on our website, trainingindustry.com, and also listen to our previous episodes. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.